Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. My guest this week is David Grace, a professional from Leeds, a former semi-finalist in the UK Championship. He made his Crucible debut last season. And David, uh, not only a snooker player, but a great snooker fan. He really enjoys being a professional. He enjoys every aspect of the game. He's based at one of the great clubs in this country, the Northern Snooker Centre in Leeds. I had a real good chat with him. We were in actually a bowling alley in Barnsley, so if you hear a bit of background noise... That's what it is. But anyway, I enjoyed my chat with him, and I hope you do as well. OK, David, so how did you get into snooker? What was your introduction to the game? It was just pretty textbook, really. Um, my dad had a small table. He'd had some when he was younger, and then they bought me a small table and, t- and took to it like duck to water, really, and just obsessed with the game. And was he into snooker as well, or was it kind of a... Because Stephen Hendry got bought a table, but his family weren't really interested. It was just a, like a lucky, random gift. Was was yeah. he already a fan of the game? Yeah, he, he, he did like it. He wasn't like mad keen, but mm. he, he, he likes to tell me he was off his champion for <laughs> some job or other. So. Right, yeah, yeah. And who were the sort of... So what p- period was this, like, who were the sort of top players of the day? I guess Stephen Hendry, it was his era, was it? Uh, yeah, I was. I first played on a full-size table when I was 10, so that would have been about 95, yeah. so yeah, mid-90s. And then yeah. obviously you grow up probably... Like your Ronin, Mark Williams, Johnny yeah. era. Yeah. And the question, like, it's not always easy for players to answer is why was this a game that you took to? What What is it about snooker? I don't think I was ever good at anything else, really. <laughs> I, I wasn't tremendous at snooker, but it's just something about the game that just kind of pulls you in and you get addicted to it. Mm. The fascination, the kind of the, the challenge, is it? Because it's not a physical game, but it's, as we know, it's a mental game. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can see the improvements, and, mm. and like, there's always that temptation that the next frame might be better, or the next mm. time you play it might be a little bit better. Mm. And how did you advance in terms of your standard? How long did it take before you thought, actually, I can play this game? Um, it was quite gradual, really. Like, I was lucky, like, being playing at the Northern Snooker Centre, they, they had all the different levels of, like, yeah. you know, so you had, like, your local junior tournaments, and then you'd win that, yeah. you'd so you'd be, like, Leeds Under-18 champion, and then all of a sudden you'd play in, like, the Open event, and then people would be coming from Newcastle, like Gary Wilson, who yeah. would just blow you out of the water, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. You, you soon realise what kind of level you're at. Yeah. Can you remember, like, the first the first comp you ever won? Like... And did you get a trophy? I, I, I seem to remember there was the, we played a, a one-frame knockout in the Saturday morning junior club. I got to the final and I lost it on the last black. Oh. And I was absolutely <laughs> devastated. Yeah. Well, well, welcome to a lifetime of snooker. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But of course, as you say, like you, it being in Leeds, you have the Northern Snooker Centre, which is probably the best club in the country. So that's kind of a, a stroke of fortune almost. Isn't oh it? yeah, it's massive. I mean, that I just happened to be the first club I ever set foot in, and mm. it happens, turns out to be one of the best clubs in the country. Mm. I thought they're all like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for those who've never been there, what, what makes it so sort of special? I think just 
everything really. The, the sheer number of tables means that you're never waiting for tables and they were always able to have tournaments on without putting the customers off. Mm. You know, the standard of the tables and, and like I say, the, all the tournament structure. So you, you've got whatever level you're coming at, you've got something that you can play in that will yeah. keep you interested. Yeah, so it's not like, because a few clubs you, people go to and it's basically, it's people just ha- enjoying themselves. It's not, like you say, structured. Yeah. You're not, you, there's no sort of ladder to, to climb. You're just no. going in and playing with your mates. Whereas yeah. you had match play, I suppose, to Yeah, yeah, straight yeah. away from the, from the junior morning club and then you progress through that and you start playing mm. the bigger tournaments and then, the you know, mm. right up to like, you know, your English ESP tournaments. Mm. So talk about your sort of amateur career. I mean, I've got the feeling that sort of back then it was a little bit more structured maybe than it is now and maybe more events and how, how did you sort of get on in those? I know you obviously won the English amateur eventually, but to the road to that, what was that like? Yeah, it, it, it was funny because it, it was a bit... Um, they used to have the old challenge tour mm. and I was desperate to get on that for a few years and then all of a sudden they opened it up and it became the payoffs. Yeah. So I was on that for a few years, but I, ne- I never did any good on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seemed, seemed to be just, just going out to pontins and like, it was just, it was just tough, just really mm. tough trying to make a breakthrough. Mm. And then, they, like I say, I won the English for the second time, which got me in the European... Mm. And I won that to get on the tour, and then um, mm. that's when I got on the tour the first time. So talk about like winning the English Amateur Championship, snooker's oldest tournament, 1916. It started. What was that like the first time? That, that must have felt like a, a breakthrough. Yeah, that was a massive mm. breakthrough. That because um, they, they used to have. I think that season actually it was before the playoffs, and I didn't have any tournaments to play in like right. that, that really mattered yeah. until the English Open and the English Amateur, mm. and they had them back to back weekends. Right, <laughs> and so I managed to get to the Northern Final of the English Open, lost to Andy Lee, mm. and then the week after, like still high on the confidence, managed to get win the English. Mm. Uh, Northern, mm. and what did that feel like, like to, to to win that? Did you think okay? Like I'm justified in spending all this time playing snooker. I've got somewhere, or, or was it then? Okay, well this is one thing, but then I've got to make the next step and become a yeah, professional. It, it's strange. I've, I've had points in my career where I've had like you know two or three years where nothing's been happening, mm. and, it, and uh, when I get to that point of feeling like maybe it's not going to happen, something good has always happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I, I won the Ponton Junior and a couple of Junior tournaments one year when it was when it was like that, and then mm. the same when I won the English mm. the first time that was 2005. Mm. But I mean, when you just look at that trophy. And see the names on it you yeah know, that, that's a massive boost yeah yeah yeah. so the european i mean that's a that's a tough tournament to win there's a lot of players in that and it's quite a sort of hectic schedule a lot of matches group matches and so on so yeah. were there any sort of points in that where you were nearly sort of knocked out or was it how did you sort of play that that time uh, no i did all right actually yeah. I, think, I think i won my group so went into the knockouts um i don't think i, I got talked to a decider until the final oh. i managed to beat my good friend now craig stedman yeah. They like being reminded of that, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, again, another kind of feather in your cap, but were you then thinking, okay, so I've done most of what I can do in the amateur game, certainly professional. I mean, what was it like then, turning professional? Because the system has changed so many times. It's actually yeah. hard, even for me, who's been involved for a long time, to keep up with it. What, what did you have to do to get on the tour? Well, that was just the best feeling in the world, mm. like finally qualifying <clears> for the tour, because I've lost, the previous year I'd lost to Martin Gould in the playoff final, yeah, yeah. so that was a chance to get on. Like I said, I'd never done any good in the playoffs, yeah. so to finally like do it, and that, and that the European is the last tournament you can possibly get on. Okay, right. So, so I knew that, it was like... So that know, got you on, effectively? It was all or nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. we can come down to a decider, so obviously to win that was absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it, it was like a bit of a letdown in the end because I got on. It was the olden days when there was, I think, there was eight ranking events, yeah. and the world qualifiers were like February. Yeah. So I'd got on in the June or the July, yeah. and and I was off by February. Oh, and I was yeah. like, oh, is this it? Yeah, is that, is that all there is? Well, that's interesting because I think like a lot of people associate 
being a snooker professional with a life of glamour and you know hotels and foreign travel and so on but actually when you start and particularly in your time when like say there weren't many tournaments you basically just walk in with your cue the first day don't you and get on with it and no one really tells you what to do or what it's yeah. all about and you realise actually this is tough yeah. yeah you just yeah you just have to figure it out for yourself really mm. I mean obviously it was the same venue as I've been playing at Contins so I was familiar with that mm. um, but w- w- a couple of good things in the, the first season I played Jimmy White in the UK yeah. and that was in the badminton hall at Sheffield so that was like an, a next level experience yeah. Um, so yeah and, and so how did you so how did you sort of feel as that year went on as you say by the end of it it felt like a bit of a letdown but what did what do you think looking back you sort of learned from it just 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 learned so much about how how tough it is to win mm. matches at professional level because mm. like you know I, I think I only won two or, two or three matches the whole season mm. uh, not that it's much of a season but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know in yeah. eight tournaments yeah. I only won a couple of matches so just just find out how tough it was and did was there sort of times where you thought well actually maybe I shouldn't be doing this maybe I should be doing I get the feeling not with you because you love the game so much yeah 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 it's, it's hard to but the, the, the year after I dropped off was, was really tough I like go back to the payoffs after finally you know if you feel like you finally cracked it and then like six seven months later you're off the tour yeah. and you've got to go back to the payoffs and I was doing nothing on the payoffs again and mm. um, so yeah, it was like nearly two years before the Q school came in, and then mm. that, that's when I got back on the second time. Yeah, and by then the game had kind of changed because Barry had took over, and uh, it, was, it looked like things were sort of starting to happen finally, which I guess is good timing for you, sort of looking to get back on. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest, when the Q school came out, I, as people do now, I, I didn't think it was the fairest system. Mm. You know, I thought I thought it was really brutal. Mm. You know, I, I was lucky enough to get through the first event, but in those days there was no ranking list or anything. So if you yeah. lost that last match to get on, yeah. you had to start again the next yeah. day and win another five matches yeah. otherwise you know you just start again yeah but I suppose oh it's great to get back on the tour but you can't over celebrate because once you get back on the tour you've then got to stay on the tour and you've got to start to make progress I mean did you notice kind of like that you or did you realise you had to raise your standard then um, yeah yeah obviously mm. I, I knew from the time before that you know it was going to be hard to win matches mm. but the tour was changing you know with, there was a lot of PTC events in Sheffield and that, yeah. that gives you a chance to, to play more matches and, and even nick a few wins yeah. and just, just find out what it's all about yeah so we're going to fast forward now to the UK Championship 2015 which you will remember fondly in, in York which is obviously quite close to, to where you're from you got to the semi-finals you had some great wins I mean obviously the quarter-final with Martin Gould is, is a memorable one because you were like 5-1 down and, and, and turned it round I mean what, just talk about the sort of the emotions of that apart from anything else yeah again it was, it was like I was riding the crest of a wave and because like almost every round from the last 16 onwards was new territory mm. I don't think it, it hit me as much because mm. I had time to just I, di- I didn't have time to think about it really yeah um, but yeah just, just going through the rounds and like I, I regarded the last 16 as a, like a, as a personal best yeah. because the only last 16 I've had before that was in Shanghai mm. and like Mark, Mark Selby unfortunately had to withdraw yeah. so that was obviously a new personal best and then everything from there was a bonus really but how do you sort of stay grounded because suddenly you're, like, you're in uncharted in, in territory and even like getting to sleep after a great win I mean what's that like is it, is it well, something you've had to learn or? Y- yeah, you, yeah. Don't, you don't really <laughs> yeah. I mean obviously after that, that, the gold match it, it was maybe midnight by the time we'd finished yeah. I was just absolutely in shock I was, just, I, like, I, I was doing interviews and stuff afterwards and I didn't, just didn't know what to say because I was just properly in shock yeah, and yeah. I'd managed to turn it around yeah. and then all of a sudden you've got to get your head down and realise that you're playing at one o'clock the next day yeah. so you know if you kind of like in, you've got to be there at 12 you've got to yeah. have a practice at 11 you've got to have something to eat yeah. and like so by the time we'd had something to eat after the you know in the evening yeah 
it was just, there was just no time to sleep at all. So. Yeah, and I guess everyone around you, you like your family, your friends, they're all excited for you as well. And you've got to kind of just control things a little bit and just focus on. You've got another match, like you say, the next yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, and obviously I, I'm, I want to read all my texts and I yeah. want to reply to everyone and that. And I, you just you just don't have to, you just literally don't have time. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. It, when it's that kind of turnaround. Yeah. So the semi-final was another kind of roller coaster ride, wasn't it? And you, you, you had a chance to, to force the decider, didn't you? I mean, yeah. looking back on that, what are your sort of feelings on that? Yeah, I, I definitely didn't play as well as I had, as I had done in, earlier in the tournament, like throughout the match. But mm. it, things, things were going well up until four-two, mm. and then um, he, he just totally changed the pace of the match. Mm. And then there was, a, there was a few moments looking back where I could have played my way back into it a little bit more rather than trying to trying to play the right shots. Mm. It, you know. Strange little scenarios, mm. but um, he, he just kind of controlled it after that. It's interesting you say because how hard is it for a player to not try and sort of replay the match, even like a few years on, you know, and think if only I'd have done that. How hard is it to just put that to bed and okay, that happened. We've got to move on to the next event. I think because it was such a high watermark for me mm. that I could be more than happy with where I got to. Mm. That I, 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 people still come up to me now and tell me about the pink I missed. I didn't. I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm aware. That <laughs> yeah. I missed the pink, but yeah. um, it's not. It doesn't haunt me really. Mm. But also, it wasn't only a semi-final, it was the UK Championship, a yeah. massive event on the BBC, so I guess you were getting a lot of attention suddenly. Having, yeah. having sort of slogged away for years, suddenly yeah. there you are. Yeah, it was, it was just nuts o- overnight. I mean, I'd never even played a match on the BBC before, mm. so it's like get through to like the last, even just playing in the main arena in the last 32, and then mm. all of a sudden I'm playing Ebden, I'm going to be on the TV table, mm. and then I'm in the quarters of the UK, yeah. and then I'm in the semis of the UK. Yeah. And also, like, because it's close to where you live, it's not like if you've been the Shanghai Masters, all your family would be watching on the telly, but they're all there yeah. supporting yeah. you, which must be great. Yeah, it was fantastic, yeah. And I felt the crowd as well. The crowd were, like, mm. warming to me, and, you know, they're just part of me because I was local and that. Mm. So that was nice. And also, you kind of... You proved to yourself, I guess, that actually, you know, I can, I am good at this game, and I can actually do well in tournaments. But you, you've got to, like, you couldn't you kind of knew that, but you had to kind of prove it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you know, you you can tell people in the club, but you know, there's there's millions of players that are absolutely fantastic in the club, you know, but when you can actually do it on the big stage. Yeah, yeah, we get a bit of noise off, but I, I like a bit of atmosphere. Uh, we, are, as, uh, we are in a bowling alley, although there's no one bowling at the moment, thankfully. Yeah. Um, so I guess then you've got to move on from that, though, haven't you? You can't over-celebrate getting to the semi-final because there's another half of the season to come. How, was it, how hard was it to then go back to, OK, round one in Barnsley, Wigan, wherever, and get on with the next event? Yeah, it's different. And I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not like a prima donna. I know that I'm not going to be on the TV table mm. unless I'm playing a big name, really. Yeah. So you, 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 you know that your bread and butter is, is you playing in your booths and trying to get through your qualifying matches. Yeah, yeah. And for, for the next year or so, I was, I was quite happy with how, how that was going. You know, just mm. it, I know it's not setting your standards high, but just when you qualifying matches, get to the venues and, mm. and you know you can make a good living that way. Yeah, and also like safeguard your tour place as well. Yeah, uh, which is massive, and not be worrying about okay, I'm, I'm 62 in the world, I'm 63. You know, and sort of yeah. you're on that cut off. You actually. You've earned enough money. You're going to be on the tour. Yeah, yeah. In that one week, I, I knew that I was going to be on the tour for that year, for the last for, uh, last season, just gone. And then I know it's going to be tough this year. Yeah. One thing, one big difference since then. It's only two years ago. Is the way you look because yeah. you've lost. How much have you lost? How's uh, weight? Nearly six and a half stone. Six and a half stone. And now, just tell us about that because that's an amazing effort. Yeah. Uh, if there's anyone less likely to lose <laughs> anywhere, honestly, it, I, yeah, it's just unbelievable, really. And. We joined Slimming World in January last year. Mm. We were getting married in the April, so there was a bit of wait for that. And we just kept it up, really, and just mm. kept going every week since. 
but there's one thing to say, like to, like, to lose two stone is great, to lose three stone, six and a half stone. And to stay disciplined and not put it back on, because that's the thing that yeah. most people, like, people can lose weight and then they go back to their old ways. Yeah. But you've stayed disciplined. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I know I have to be. And I, I, we still go to the groups every week and I know that, it, I, I mean, I miss it. If I, if, well, like when I go to China next week, I, I'll miss that group on the Monday and I'll feel like I need it. I really do need it in my life. Mm. Just just that it just keeps you on the level every, once a night, once a week, Monday night. Mm. And, but to lose it, I mean, you say you've joined the world. Do you eat at all? I mean, it just seems yeah. six and a half stone seems I an incredible eat, amount. I eat more now than I ever have done, right. honestly. But the right and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, just certain things. I mean, I, I could go into it in, in more detail, yeah. but it's basically food optimising. Right. So the way you cook certain things, you know, lean meats. Yeah. You know, it's, it's stuff that doesn't doesn't really affect your life. You can have virtually any meal you can think of yeah. if you cook it a certain way. Okay. And do you feel it's made a difference to your? game I guess you're sort of healthier fitter maybe and make more energy is that is that what it is I must be because I, yeah. I, I haven't noticed it as much as I thought because it's a long process in it you know like it happens over like 18 months but mm. you know it can't hurt can it mm. we hear a lot of talk from players about various things on the tour that they're not happy with and sort of grumbles do you enjoy being a snooker player I get the feeling you do you, you t- tend not to sort of complain about things yeah I'd I don't want to be part of the morning brigade, right. if I'm honest. Like, I, I know, I know it's human nature to, to worry about things, but when I say people moaning, and, and they're only moaning about something that's affecting them, yeah. and, and it, that, I know there's not many people that look at it the way I do, but mm. I, I genuinely, I've just been a snooker fan for years. Mm. Like, you know, just, I could I read snooker scene like back to, <laughs> honestly, back to yeah. front, and yeah. you know, when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I just love the game, and I just want to see the game do well. Yeah. So the sort of lifestyle of a snooker player, because as I say, I think if you're not involved in the game, you don't really understand. There's a lot of travelling and, you know, airports, checking into hotels, checking out, all that sort of stuff. And you've got to manage your schedule as well, which is quite hard when there's so many tournaments. How, how do you sort of cope with that? Yeah, you, you have to be well organised. That, that's, that's one of my strong points, really. And that, it, does, it does help when you know you're going to be here, you're going to be there, and you're going to have to book this hotel and do mm. that. And it does help you keep on top of it all. Mm. And do you, do you like travelling? Do you enjoy going to China? Yeah, uh, yeah I like seeing new places, mm. yeah. But the, the, obviously, travelling for a, a tall chap such as myself yeah, is yeah. not great, but... Yeah. You know, I do, I do what I can. Got me yeah. little tricks. Okay. And what about sort of the, the down moments? How do you sort of cope with, like you lose 5-4 in, in the first round or something? How do you cope with defeat? Is there a way of doing that? Or is, do you sulk? I mean... I, I used to do. I, <laughs> I, I, I used to just I used to just be just devastated and just, mm. yeah, sulk and not want to practice and everything. But since I got with my wife, Gemma, mm. she's just, it's just brilliant to just be able to go home and just, mm. you know, she's always going to be there, hopefully, touch wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose as well, there's so many events now that you kind of can't dwell too much on what's happened one week because the next week you need to be in the right state of mind to be playing the next week. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. If, you know, if you, you let it snowball, you, you know, you can go on a long run of losses and... But conversely, you can if you get on a good roll of winning, you can you can use it to your advantage as well. Mm. So, mm. do you sort of get recognised? I mean, do, like you're you're a stupid professional, but unless I suppose unless you're sort of on TV a lot, like there's even top players who could maybe walk down the high street and not get. Do you, do you get that? And do you enjoy that? Yeah, I don't mind. I don't, mm. I, in the in the club, you know, the snooker people that have seen it, you know, the the, the look out for me results a lot more than they used mm. to do since the UK. And uh, it was just funny, the, the day after the UK, we was out shopping in Brighouse and uh, like an old fella came up to me <laughs> in Jack Fulton's and he was like, oh, it's you, isn't it? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then he, he shook my hand for about five minutes, you know, like old yeah. people do. And he said, even I could have pointed that. <laughs> <Pink>. <laughs> oh, it's nice to hear. Yeah, thanks, yeah. thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but of course in China you know the players get treated like really like stars don't you I mean that, that must be kind of kind of a bit of a contrast I think to over here yeah yeah it's nice it, it, it's a strange one China because you, you go like in the hotel lobby you'll be doing an autograph every, every time you pass through the lobby mm. in, in, in China mm. but then when you actually get to the venue there's not yeah. that many people watching yeah, yeah. but I think it's just a different culture I don't, I don't think it's any particular reason yeah. it's, just, it's a big country they, they, they watch it on telly mm. maybe they're just not big live sport watchers yeah yeah and I think the tickets cost a lot of money as well yeah and I, I get the feeling in China it's a bit different to here you can't sort of ring your boss and say like oh, I'm a bit ill and I can't come in and then suddenly you're on the telly it's, yeah that would knock her down well I think yeah <laughs> <laughs> but do you, I mean what about sort of jet lag and things like that do you, is that something that, that, that you you uh, have a problem with and also like food you said about your sort of strict diet is that compromised by travelling yeah it, it's tough to it's tough to eat well because like I say it's quite when, you, when you're at home it's quite a simple plan to follow a slimming world because you just, you, you're cooking meals in a certain way but when like I, I can make a, a full English breakfast at home and it'd be absolutely spot on on, yeah. on slimming world but you have that in uh, in a pub or yeah. you know, a breakfast in a hotel and it's a million times worse cause, yeah. just because of you know, a few certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that? So how do you do? You therefore, have to really watch what you eat, or because you, you know, like you say, you've kept the weight off. So it's obviously yeah. you're doing something right when you. Yeah, I, I do. I do make better decisions, but I also I'm not too hard on myself. I know if, if I'm away, I'm, you know, I might have a gain that week. Yeah. But I know that as soon as I get back on it, when I get home, you know, I can get it straight off. So mm. it's about it's it's all about not being too hard on yourself. Okay. What's the sort of, again, like for people who don't know, what's the sort of typical day for a snooker player? So say you're playing a match at, say, 2 o'clock. What time do you get up? What do you do in the morning? What, how do you prepare for that 2 o'clock start? Um, actually, I hate the afternoon starts. Okay. I'd, ra- I'd rather play morning or night, because okay. morning's my natural time. Right. I, I get, I'll, if I'm at home, I'll, I'll be getting up at, like, half past 6. Right. I'm in the club doing the tables at half past 7, right. and then start playing at 10, so mm. 10 o'clock's a good start time for me. Mm. Um, the evening one, I try and I'll, I'll again I'll get up early and then I'll try and have a little sleep in the afternoon and and then restart everything at about five o'clock. Right. So 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 say like so you say at two o'clock. So that's the time you're playing. What do you do in the morning to, to lead up to that match? Um, sometimes go and have a practice and then go back. It's, it's hard to know like when when to eat. Sometimes yeah. you know you got you've got to have just enough that you're not going to be hungry, yeah. Yeah, and you've got to also prepare mentally that you might not be on at half past two with some of the roll on roll offs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you could be yeah. not start till four o'clock. Yeah. So it's it's a hard balance to get everything right. Yeah. You played at the Crucible for the first time this year. Well, I mean that for you for anyone that's great. But like you as a great snooker fan. Yeah. And you presumably you've been there to watch before and, and so on. Just to be walking out there, what was that like? Absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> like. <laughs> I, I didn't have time to sink in because I, I qualified on maybe the Wednesday and the draw was like Thursday and then I was back down Friday for the yeah. opening ceremony yeah, yeah. which was unbelievable yeah, 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 was great, yeah. Yeah. I was just yeah. like for a snooker fan yeah. to, to even like if I'd have bought a ticket for that I would have had the best night ever yeah. I was actually on the crucible floor with all those legends yeah. going to be playing there the next yeah. day yeah. I just, I, it was too much to take in yeah. at the time yeah but that's the thing a lot of players have said I remember Ken said when he when he first played they played Steve and he said I was 4-0 down before I kind of realised I was in the World Championship I was looking at Steve looking at the lights and everything and the crucible you know you've still got to it's, you've got to be a pro you've got to play the match how how, how long did it take to sort of settle into it? Um, 
I all managed to get out of the first session 5-4, so yeah. I mean, I was I was delighted with that really, because yeah. I've been 5-2 down, but it, looking back when I watched it, on, I was a bit too careful the first couple of frames, mm. I was thinking, just get a frame on the board, just get a frame on the board, mm. I turned a couple down that I could maybe have gone for and found myself 2-0 down, mm. and uh, you know, it's things like that that make the difference at that level. Mm. Do you, as a player, do you have sort of any superstitions? Do you have any kind of odd routines that you can that you could tell us about? Um, not particularly. <laughs> My dad's a bit superstitious. Like he's been texting me this morning, so because the um, like the last time he didn't pick balls out for me, I won the qualifying match, and okay. then he, he picked balls out for me the last yeah. week, and I got beat. So yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do it tonight. Like, right. Yeah. But you don't have like lucky pants or anything, or lucky socks or anything like that. No, not really. Okay. Fair enough. So. At this stage of your career, then, what are your sort of immediate goals? I guess as much improvement as you can and try and win something. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. You, you look at you know some of the smaller tournaments, yeah. and they do you know they do look winnable, really. Yeah. But it's, there's so many players to beat. I mean, it, even when you're not playing a top top player, mm. I, I just I, I honestly think the standard has gone through the roof this season. Yeah. I know Ronnie doesn't think so. But <laughs> like, I just look around the qualifying matches. Like, even in the last couple of years, you could look around and pick a few out that. Definitely yeah. going to beat him. You're definitely going to beat him, and I just can't say that anymore. I, just, yeah. I really think like a lot of the, the Chinese kids that are coming through are like a next level, yeah. and uh, it's just really, well, it's, it's just down to the rewards in it that are on offer now. It's bringing it's bringing good players like Ian Brees back into the game, sure, yeah. who, who's you know jacked it in for a few years, but he's thinking you know I can make a living now. Yeah, and also a lot of people they'll see the result of the match, but they won't have seen the match. You can play great and lose, can't you? Yeah. You can play fantastically well and lose, yeah. and I think think people don't understand like the standard is so high down the ranks that people are knocking each other out so it's hard to get on a run like for example when Ronnie turned pro he sort of breezed through the qualifying yeah. when the standard at that level when it was open wasn't as high that's very hard now yeah yeah if he was coming in at the last 500 yeah. or whatever then you, you, <laughs> yeah. you would be winning the first three or four matches but yeah. I mean I'm, I, I don't know he was obviously an outstanding talent but if he was coming in at the last one, one, 128 mm. nah, he probably still would have won yeah yeah, 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 yeah. you know yeah. what I mean but he's a one-off I guess um now, of course, it's not just snooker with you. You've got this other talent for, for painting. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. When did that start? Um, just at school, really. I did, it, I did it up till A-levels. Got, I think it was a B at A-level. And then I, I never touched it for years. And then um, I just decided I was going to do a painting of my niece, my first niece, mm. when she was about one. And uh, everybody liked it. And then I think I did, I did a, uh, one of Neil Robertson for a charity uh, charity auction. It made like two, two, three hundred quid. And, I was yeah. like, and, and everybody really liked it. So... Mm. I, uh, just from that, really, I've got a few people asking me if, if I could do them. And where, where does that talent come from? I mean, is, that, is it just a natural thing that you, you have the hand-eye coordination? Maybe it's a little bit like snooker. You've got that brain that you can. Do. Yeah, I think there is comparisons. Where you've got to be like patient and like mm. quite well organised. Yeah. And just, you know, cause a lot of it is, is in the organisation, the sketching out. Once it's sketched out, it's kind of painted by numbers from there. Yeah. Really. And also, I guess it's something you can do on your own, and you keep your mind clear, and you're not maybe thinking about. Oh, I'm going to wherever next week to play this match and whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. not a snooker thing necessarily. No, it actually really did help. Yeah. I, th- I think I was doing it that year, that year when I got to the semis of the UK and I was mm. doing a lot of painting and it was just taking my mind off, you know, in the in-between bits. Mm. And can, people can buy them, can they? Uh, they could, but oh, I right. just there's that much time okay, away the time. on the tour at yeah. the moment. I'm having to tell people that I haven't got time to do them at the minute. Okay, right. Um, so, uh, sort of immediate uh, sort of career ambition. I mean, everyone wants to be world champion. Um, I guess why not? You know why not have that ambition? Yeah, I, th- I, I would like to win an event. I mm. mean, I've, I've, obviously you've seen in the last couple of years yeah. people winning the events for yeah. the first time, and everybody wants that moment. Mm. You know, it almost doesn't matter what tournament it is. You you have that moment where you're the last man standing. Yeah. You pick up that trophy and do the little lap of honour and yeah. that. 
think everybody wants that. Yeah. I already know the answer to this, but you you don't regret becoming a snooker pro, do you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still living the dream. Brilliant. Well, long may it continue. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast, David. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.